Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. It has been almost 10 years since the last recession shook Americans' confidence and caused them to pull their purse strings tighter. But according to industry insiders, consumers finally are feeling more comfortable spending again which is good news for retailers and manufacturers in the food and beverage space. According to the full-service CPG sales and marketing agency Acosta, rising consumer confidence in the economy in 2019 will spur sales of more premium products that many shoppers turned away from in 2008 when the recession first began. This will include products that are healthier, made with more expensive organic, natural, and functional ingredients, as well as items that offer added convenience. In addition to seeking more premium products, many consumers are seeking more premium shopping experiences, both in-store and online. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Acosta Strategic Advisor John Clevenger walks us through how these evolving demands will continue to reshape the retail shopping experience and influence which products succeed at market. Ten years may seem like a long time ago, but for those who are struck the hardest by the housing collapse and the domino effect it had on the economy in 2008, the road to recovery has been long. But Clevenger suggests that many people are finally at a point where they can spend money more liberally without thinking about the impact of every single penny. The past few years have been challenging for the industry. We had a period of recession that goes back more than a few years. Then we had a period of deflation. Uh, there's been a lot of consolidation of the industry. But I, I'm predicting a, a, a pretty positive year next year for both retailers and manufacturers. I get the sense that uh, consumers are feeling a little bit more confident with their pocketbook and uh, are more likely to make choices towards more premium items. And premium can be just an upgraded version of something they normally buy, or it can be a more natural or organic or specialty ingredient item. I think people are feeling more comfortable making those expenditures. I think we're also beginning to see manufacturers uh, trying to take some price in the market. They haven't been able to do that for many years, and it's it's hurt margins overall. So I think you'll see a little bit of that. And in general, retailers seem, well, they never like to see a price increase, but their understanding of the drivers behind it. While consumers may be willing to spend more, they're not willing to spend more on just anything. Rather, Coventure says that they're looking for products that offer a higher value, whether that be health or convenience. You know, there was a period of time, maybe a decade ago, when the entire industry rode a wave of premiumization to drive sales and profits. And then, of course, that took a hit during the, you know, 2008 to 2010 recession period. I think it's coming back stronger, but it's it's it does not appear to be simply – my my wallet is flush, I'm going to buy the better stuff. I think there is a, um, 
a, a drive towards an understanding that uh, more natural or more organic or you know a kind of guaranteed source of uh, source of ingredients is uh, shoppers see that as a, a higher value, something that's more important for them, and they are willing to pay for it. The other thing that's going on is there's a continuing shift away from preparing your own food from scratch and various levels of more prepared foods, whether you're buying a meal kit or whether you're buying fully prepared meals from the steam trays and you're taking it home. Those uh, those options beyond just buying the raw ingredients have a higher margin built in. They have a higher cost and a higher margin built into them. So that alone is going to be – I'm a shopper. I may think premiumization is better ingredients, but in many cases to me premiumization is someone's doing the work for me. You're going to see um, – manufacturers, first they'll be, you know, call them pure play manufacturers, smaller companies whose only offering is all natural or all organic, you know, on on that end of the continuum. Bigger companies, um, you know, whether it's Campbell's Soup or it's Starbucks Coffee, doesn't really matter, but those that have the, the scale to have a broader portfolio might have two offerings. They might have their their conventional, if you want to call it that, products, but they will introduce or expand on lines that are more organic, more natural, more uh, you know we we know that, you know we can trace the source of the ingredients. Uh, there probably isn't more margin in terms of percentage uh, profitability in those items, but there's more penny profit. They will they will command a higher price, and yes, the ingredients are more expensive. Another element of this trend that we're already seeing, but which likely will increase in 2019, is fake food CPG's rationalizing product mix and acquiring relevant challenger brands in order to better meet consumers' shifting preferences. You know, the whole idea of, of, uh, of big, big food manufacturers um, have very large innovation departments, and they're always trying to come up with new brands, new line extensions, new formulations, whatever it may be. What we're finding, and this has been a truth for a long time and across the store, not not specific to a particular manufacturer, is uh, shoppers get an idea of what a particular brand stands for. And when you try to expand on that, sometimes there's resistance. That's part of the reason you see large manufacturers acquiring smaller companies and, um, you know, allowing those company, those, those smaller companies that they acquire uh, to maintain their own brand, sometimes to maintain their own separate office locations so that they can, um, you know, continue to do what they were very good at in the environment where they succeeded. Um, the, the, the growth of portfolios will continue uh, as these companies consolidate and the economics of consolidation are, are, are pretty obvious. They will continue to consolidate, but there's always a wave of new, smaller, startup, and innovative companies coming behind them. 
Um, and, and some of them are desire to be acquired at some point. Some of them desire to main, maintain independence and grow on their own. And that, to me, creates a very healthy industry where there's, where there's competition and there's innovation and there's companies that are pure plays in a small particular area of the store and other ones who are uh, flexing their scale and their logistics capability to uh, participate and compete in multiple areas of the store. As the new crop of products and companies emerge, they're placing increased pressure on manufacturers managing iconic brands. While large CPG companies may be able to renovate some of those brands to remain relevant, others inevitably will end up on the chopping block. But as Clevenger notes, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Large companies will tend to focus resources against larger growth brands. And there are always smaller brands in their portfolio that may not get the same resources or may, you know, the company may change its strategic direction and those brands are, are no longer, no longer make sense in that, uh, in that new strategy. But those brands often tend to find new homes. There are a number of companies that grew from nothing to very successful by picking up what I'm calling orphan brands and applying more attention to them. You know, the attention that they couldn't get from their previous owner just be- because of the scale of the business. You know, uh, I, I've always, I'm always interested in seeing, call them heritage brands, call them legacy brands, that, um, you know, new success 20, 30 years ago and uh, then may have faded away but are making a resurgence right now. We've seen that going on for the past 15 years where some of these regional heritage brands, shoppers are rediscovering them for their authenticity, for their uniqueness, to, to, to the new generation of shoppers coming in. These are new brands that they hadn't experienced before. They just need a little TLC. They need an environment where there's someone who can pay attention to them. Consumers aren't just changing what they're buying. They're changing where and how they're buying food and beverage as well. As Clevenger expects retailers in 2019 to focus on creating a more streamlined and higher quality omni-channel shopping experience, the task that he says is not undertaken lightly. There's been a lot of experimentation going on for the past several years. Many uh, retailers were a little slow or hesitant to get involved. I think there's a universal understanding now that you need to be able to play and have a presence where your shoppers are looking for information. So omni-channel doesn't necessarily mean that you compete in every single channel of distribution for your products. But I think what people are trying to come to grips with and what they're trying to create is a situation where no matter where the shopper or the consumer um, interacts with your brand. In this case, the brand could be, uh, you know, it could be Clorox bleach, it could be Kroger, right, but where, especially Kroger or other retailers. Wherever they interact with you, it's a very consistent experience, and they can shop with the same uh, simplicity or with the same level of navigation and direction and information, whether they're in a store, whether they're on their phone, uh, you know, whether they're uh, using some sort of click and collect capability versus going in and doing a big shop on their own. That's not easy. Um, 
you know, especially for, you know, think about the breadth of items that's in a typical grocery store. I don't know if there's any other type of retail establishment except maybe a, a you know, a big uh, home improvement store where there's so many different items under one roof. So how do you make navigating through all of those items online simple and still educational and still I can get what I'm looking for and it still feels like I'm shopping with fill-in-the-blank name of retailer, whatever it is they're trying to establish as their positioning, as their beliefs, what they stand for, their equities, those need to come through clearly whether I'm looking at it on a phone, whether I'm at home on my laptop, or whether I'm walking through the store. It's a challenge. It's, it's hard to do. Clevenger says the food and beverage industry is still in the early stages of creating an omni-channel shopping experience, which means a lot of experimenting, but not necessarily any clearly winning strategies yet. But he predicts that Click and Collect could be an early front-runner in 2019 because it plays to retailers' existing strengths. First of all, it allows them to leverage a, you know, a very uh, uh, high-value investment they've already made. If you're a retail grocer, you already have those stores, you have those parking lots, you have those distribution centers. You've got a big investment in physical plant. Um, e-commerce doesn't really allow you to leverage any of that if you go into a pure play, home delivery, thing of that sort. But click and collect allows me to continue to use my retail locations as the as the pickup point. And in many cases, we're also seeing that uh, you know the retailer needs to take some of the physical space of that store and turn it into a staging area for click and collect. Where the extra staging space comes from will significantly increase competition among manufacturers that vie for this increasingly limited shelf space. In particular, Clevenger predicts that products stocked in the center of the store will feel the pinch the most. Center store in particular is shrinking, whether, whether it's because the footprint of new stores being built is smaller or stores that have been around for a while are trying to find more space for the perimeter for fresh and prepared foods. Uh, and also, as we talked about earlier, uh, they need space as a staging area for click and collect. So there's pressure on center store. That pressure will vary from category to category. There are some categories that um, uh, it's probably easier to trim assortments with, without affecting category performance. There are some categories that will that are already migrating to uh, some other sort of e-commerce-enabled delivery quicker than others. So, um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a puzzle, but the store is, is certainly shrinking. But here's the interesting thing that's going on. That center store still represents probably somewhere around 70% of sales and maybe even more than 70% of profits. Retailers recognize that. They've spent a lot of energy in the past, call it five to ten years, expanding their perimeters and making those perimeters into extraordinarily wonderful shopping experiences. Colorful, uh, great aromas, interesting displays, activity going on, quite an experience. Starting maybe a couple of years ago and continuing for the next several years, that experience 
and expertise that they have in, is now going to shift to doing that in center store. Center store is still important. It can't be ignored. And uh, there are certain parts of center store where people really like to shop. And, uh, you know, uh, perhaps spend an extended time in front of a section, not because they can't find what they're looking for and they're frustrated, but because they like to browse, and it's really an interesting category that maybe they're a little bit more engaged with. So my particular team, part of what my team does is this whole idea of aisle reinvention, and we are getting more and more inquiries because it's still a very important part of the store. Maybe the uh, enhancement of perimeter, they're done, or you know they've reached a point where they're, they're kind of happy with what's going on, and they can... They now retrain their focus on center store, um, but also because um, there's an understanding that if there are fewer trips that involve center store, uh, I want to make sure on those very valuable trips when people do go down the aisle, they see everything we want them to see and potentially respond the way we'd like them to to the products. So it's an investment to get the most out of the trips that are still going down those aisles. Clevenger suggests two strategies to improve the outlook for items stocked in the center of the store. Um, one thing most importantly, um, if, if, a, if a shopper has made the effort to come into your store, the most important thing to them, think of it as the, the base level on their hierarchy of needs, is navigation. Translate that as, I'm, I'm in your store, don't make it hard for me to find what I'm looking for. So that's whether I'm walking past all the end caps and I need to know which aisle to go down, help me understand which aisle I'm supposed to go down. And, and sometimes it's not the signage up ahead that's, you know, up overhead that says what's down that aisle that people are looking at. They're looking at particular categories or brands to be signposts to tell them, oops, oh, okay, th- this is where the... Uh, this is where coffee is. I want to go down this aisle. It's the same as when they're standing in front of the aisle. Think about some of the very complex, skew-intensive categories in a store, whether it's cosmetics or it's spices. I need help navigating that and finding what I'm looking for. That's the basic need of navigation. There's a secondary level, though, that's becoming more and more important as we have couple of new generations of shoppers and people learning how to cook that um, are used to being better informed about their products than maybe previous generations had gotten used to. And when you're in a store, you're generally, you know, most people aren't looking at their phone for that information. They want to find that information on the shelf. So education is the next key area beyond, once you've delivered navigation so they can find what they're looking for, provide them with some level of information or education so they know what, they're, what they should be buying or they know what are the potential benefits of buying the premium version versus the mainstream version of a product. Um, you know, uh, the, the, that kind of information um, is part of the overall shopping experience that whether it's done electronically or whether it's just with signage, you know, we have generations of shoppers now who are used to getting a lot of information and having a lot of information at their disposal to make purchase decisions. How can we integrate that into a traditional 
brick-and-mortar shopping experience. Other strategies to improve the in-store experience that Clevenger predicts retailers will employ more in 2019 and beyond include elevating in-store eating areas and prepared food options, increasing sampling, education, and entertainment, and offering additional services such as health care. Each of these challenges likely will cause a ripple effect, making it difficult to protect their full impact. Similarly, since it's so early in the development cycle for many of these changes, it's hard to know which ones will gain traction and which ones will be abandoned. The only way to fully know what will happen is to wait and watch. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I appreciate you turning in and hope that you'll join me again next week. And to ensure that you don't forget, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.